0: Because there's like so many different things. I think a couple of years ago I tried to pull all of the different historical things going on. It's almost like there's multiple storm fronts that are all like colliding together. There's this, um, there's things happening in the, in the Jewish stories. Jesus is, is Jewish and, and the, the whole scriptures begin... They they begin with really telling the story of this Jewish people who are called, a people called out to be a blessing, blessed to be a blessing. One writer says you can't really understand any of the Bible unless you can palm like a basketball Genesis 12. And Genesis 12 is this place in Scripture where it talks about this call that's given to these people, this person Abraham, and then this whole tribe. I'm going to call these people out, I'm going to set them apart. In fact, this is where we get the idea of predestination. It's so often not what we think it is. It's a group of people pulled out. They've been predestined to go and to bless. You're going to be my agents in the world. The way in which I am going to bless the world is going to be through people. This is how I'm going to put everything back together again. And so these Jewish people have found themselves in exile. About 150 years before, like I read during our our liturgy earlier, there's this revolt and this revolt happens um, against the, the, the oppressor at the time, and they, they kind of win the day. And so there's this incredible moment where it, it seems like liberation is in sight. Palms are waved as a sort of like flag of celebration. Coins are stamped, and so these Jewish people find themselves celebrating, at least for a moment, because it doesn't last long, because the time, by the time we get to the Palm Sunday story and the scriptures, they are back under oppression again. They are back underneath the boot of the empire. But for a moment, there is liberation. And so what would be regularly said in times of war, times of, of kind of taking back what they felt like belonged to them. Jewish people would offer this prayer up from the Psalms, Hosanna, Hosanna in the high, the God who saves. And so the scene is, as Jesus is heading into Jerusalem, there's a lot of folks, it's like the people, it's like the grassroots movement. And he has set this whole thing up. It's almost as if Jesus has like a PR firm because he's set everything up that it would like cue these these Jewish people who are living... um, uh, under the boot of empire, who Jesus has been spending all his time with, the outcast, the lonely, the hurting. Some religious folks are coming along. His group's starting to diversify. People are starting to pay attention. Who is this traveling rabbi who's going around saying, I'm the Messiah. Like, I'm the, the one who's going to put it all back together. I'm the king who's going to restore it all. And he has now set the stage with a bunch of prophecy going back to Zechariah and a donkey and where he comes from. And hes he, It literally feels like a little firm that's Come together and said, Hey, here's what we're gonna do, Jesus. We're gonna set it up to really make everyone kind of assume that you are the kind of king who comes in and is going to like take Rome back for Israel. Like you're gonna come in and you are are gonna put it all back together in the way that we expect. You are gonna overthrow the government, you are gonna tell those people. What's wrong with them? And put it all back together the way we assume, the way it happened before 150 years earlier. So they are waving palms, throwing them down on the ground. Hosanna, Hosanna. It's like we remember a generation or two generations before this happened. Oh, my gosh, it's going to happen again. And this Jesus. He comes in on a donkey, which is part of the prophecy. See, your king comes in lowly riding on a donkey. So there's one storm front. There's this whole story of these Jewish people, these hurting people who have gone, Where is God? Where is God? What are you doing? Like, why are we still in this place? And they are naturally expecting Jesus to write things in the way that things seem to have been made right before. So why would someone wanna kill Jesus? Why does the ruling establishment in a few days we go from Palm Sunday to the cross? This Roman empire is sort of our second storm front here. There's this group of people, <laughs> these these kings, who have essentially come to a place where they are deifying themselves. This happens with power, right? They see themselves as above even reality. We have Octavian, who changes his name to Caesar Augustus. He becomes the Caesar who rules the world from England to India, a global superpower. And he believes that he's come from heaven to earth to bring about a universal reign of peace and prosperity. We found coins and banners and documents that, that have this phrase, Caesar is Lord, Caesar is Lord, Caesar is Lord. The foreign oppressors of this Jewish people began to, um, to divinize their political leaders. And so when you conquer the whole world, how do you rule countries from a great distance that it might take two or three weeks to travel to? How do you rule and maintain order? So in the ancient world, the way you would do that, or one of the key ways you would do that is through coins. Caesar Augustus, he died, which led to Caesar Tiberius, who was ruling at the time of Jesus. And the coin of Tiberius, which I think I have behind me on the screen, had the image and inscription of Tiberius. And so when you conquer a land, you would demand a tax or tribute to raise money to conquer more lands. And so if you're a Jew in Israel and Rome has has conquered you, you're you, you supposed to pay this tax as tribute. Caesar said he's God, and if I pay the tax, I'm, am I acknowledging that Caesar is actually God? These Jewish people were in this deep contrast. But if I don't pay the tax, then we'd be rebelling against the empire. The, these people are, are trapped in a very difficult situation. Tiberius has an issue because he can't be everywhere at once. He doesn't have cameras yet. And so the man he chooses to rule on his behalf, this is how things would go, you'd rule on behalf of the empire, was Pilate. Pilate uh, governed uh, this region um, that the Jews were mostly in. Uh, his job entailed living in Israel, ruling, trying to maintain order. Uh, and so if your job is to maintain order, um, the last thing that you want to, to do is to, uh, to see any sorts of seeds of rebellion People remembering maybe liberation that's happened before. So Pilate didn't live in Jerusalem. He lived in Caesarea. And so in Luke 22, verse 1, it says, Now the festival of unleavened bread, which is called the Passover, was near. The chief priests and the scribes were looking for a way to put Jesus to death. So we know it's the time of Passover. So a quick breakdown on Passover. Passover is, uh, well, Exodus 3, verse 7 then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. So this is telling the story way back of what had happened in their history. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out to that land, to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppress them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt." The Jewish people are living in the land that Egypt had enslaved by Pharaoh, and God sends them a message and says, God is the God who hears the cry of the oppressed. God rescues, this is their history, helpless slaves who are under the hand of a Roman oppressor. They are under the bondage of a Roman oppressor. This is why the scriptures have always played really well with oppressed people groups. In fact, many have commented, it's very difficult to understand the Bible if you are in a position of power and privilege. So you can't, it's just very difficult because it's not written from that perspective at all. So at this time, you've got the Jewish storm front, you've got this Roman storm front, Pilate is looking out at these Jewish people who are all gathering this weekend in Jerusalem for Passover. Conservative historical estimates would say that 200,000 Jews, 200,000 would gather to celebrate at the temple. They're gathering in Jerusalem to celebrate a time when they were set free from an oppressor. So Pilate, who has been tasked with keeping order by the global superpower is going, hmm, this situation could be trouble. You're not very excited about Passover if you are Pontius Pilate. So, once a year, we know that Pilate would leave Caesarea and march into Jerusalem. And he was basically sending a message that says, don't mess with Rome. It would begin with the Roman eagle saying the Roman Empire is coming. Then came the standard bearers with flags of all of the Caesars and their divine titles, listing all the battles that they had won. So they're marching into town. Then came the centurions, the cavalrymen. First the soldiers marching with metal shields that are kind of doing that rhythmic clanking thing. Then soldiers, you know, then the soldiers mounted on horses, armed chariots. This is Pilate. Armed chariots are like the, the tank of their day. And at some point, Pontius Pilate himself would go by adoring crowds yelling, hail to Pilate, hail to Caesar. It was a show of force. It was a military parade. And the message is simply this, resistance is futile, submit or die. And so... We know, right, that this story doesn't end, but the the fulcrum of, of this weekend is the cross. We can't detach the cross from its historical background. The cross was one of the central ways that Rome sent a message don't push back, fall in line. Everything is about power and strength and domination and the Roman army on the march evoked fear and terror. At this time, 80 to 90% of people in Israel, peasants, simple farmers, working class, poor, simple people living off the land and the Roman army is marching through your village saying don't even think about it. This whole little Passover thing and you're gonna say those prayers, we'll let you say those prayers We'll let you remember what happened before, but don't think that it could happen again. Pilate, if you've been totally tuned out, you're like, oh my gosh, 11th grade history, I can't do this. Pilate enters from the west. Pilate enters the scene from the west. The same week, something else happens. Soon after Pilate enters, Jesus directs them, his disciples, to get a donkey in place, and he starts, it says in the scripture that Jesus went to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is on the other side of the city in the east. And so we have these texts. If you want to turn with me to Luke 19. And we get this moment where the religious leaders who are not kind of, they're basically against Jesus. They're not sure what to make of him. They're a bit in bed with the empire, the Jewish religious leaders, and they are um, not excited about this entry that Jesus and his disciples have prepped. You still with me? Just lie to me and say, yeah. Luke 19, 35. Let's go back a little further, Luke 19, 28. After Jesus had said this, he went to go ahead to Jerusalem, As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, this is how we know he's coming in from the east, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you as I enter it. You will find a colt there which no one else has ever written. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you are untying it, say, the Lord needs it. So they bring it to Jesus. They threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near to the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began, to joy, began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all of the miracles that they had seen. And they say, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. The Pharisees are not excited about this. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And then Jesus has I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Jesus has set a scene here where there are people, he is like doing a procession, maybe even at the same time that one's coming in from the other side of the city, and he's coming in on a donkey, and he's got people saying, blessed is the king, when you've got the king and his representation coming in on the other side. You've got palm branches getting thrown down. So it's Passover, 200,000 Jews. Again, the scene here is, oh my gosh, this is the moment the revolt's going to happen. And the religious leaders naturally are going, don't say that. I imagine it's being like, keep your voice down. Keep your voice down. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples. Go to the village ahead of you. Bring the donkey to me. They take it. See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and Jesus did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. And a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road. While others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road, the crowds that went ahead of him shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? He doesn't walk. He enters the city. Not on a chariot like the king coming from the other side of the city. Not on a symbol of war. He comes from the east and he enters on a donkey. He chooses to come into the east in a different way because this is how love comes. Not with power over, but with power under. Jesus stages an intentionally visual reality saying this is what true power looks like. Now this is the place in the message where in the past, and this, is, and this would be appropriate for any given Palm Sunday, maybe I'll do this next year, we talk about those differences. We talk about a, a God who, who who's comes into the world in a different sort of way. He comes in through sacrificial love. He comes in in the way of peace. The thing I wanna highlight this year in the Palm Sunday story is the crowd who go from expecting the coronation of a king to a crucifixion. Who are there assuming something and have an idea of reality of what God is like what God is up to how God will put it back together by overthrowing these people and they are like filled with such fervor and excitement and joy the text just screams like this is a this is fanfare they are like yes the man of the people the messiah is here and then he, they are yelling, crucify him a couple days later. Many of you know this story. What's happening to the crowd in this moment is what I want to invite us to think about as we head into a final moment of prayer and worship together and as we head into Holy Week. Disillusionment. You say disillusionment. Disillusionment gets a really bad rap. So I was reading something about this recently. There's an article talking about this very idea. Disillusionment is actually a great thing. Disillusionment is, 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 just break the word down for a minute. It's You have an illusion about who God is or about anything. Let's divorce it from this story for a moment. You have an idea of what this thing is, and then it gets dissed. It gets interrupted. Your your understanding of reality gets disrupted. There's disappointment, which is like I'm let down by this expectation that I had that this was gonna, this is what you were gonna do. This is how this was gonna go. This is what you're like, this is how you were gonna heal, this is how you were gonna save, this is how my life was gonna go. I have my expectation of what I need. And I don't know about you, but I want like a God who's got some like some good candy or some like good like pizza, nachos, and a God of like vegetables. Like God. But God so often doesn't give us what we want, He gives us what we need. And this is one of those moments of all the different angles we could talk about in the Palm Sunday story. I was so just struck by this. I was so struck by this idea of how often we need to have a different sort of, um, I'll just say open, open posture. That our propensity to make an idol out of our expectations is so strong and it makes sense. I mean, without getting too deep into my own psyche, (laughs) it's a dark place. I mean, just planning a church, I'm like, well, everything we do is in the name of Jesus. So I, I have all these expectations of how this is gonna go and how fast that's gonna grow and how these people are gonna react. And those people would never leave. And we're the church that never would do that. And all of a sudden that happened. And we're the most inclusive church. Why do you feel like we're the... And I mean, I just like... My expectations are constantly, constantly destroyed. And I've realized, I don't know if you relate to this at all. I'm gonna guess you do. But there are, there are moments where I I see that as such such a negative, like, God, like, really? God, really? When actually this is a joyous, beautiful moment filled with possibility to allow the illusion of how God would work in the world and what God wants to do in me and allow that to get shut down and for him to give birth to something else, the crowds, are going this, we know what he's like. We know what's happened. We know how this is gonna go. We've seen it before. All signs point to Rome falling to the Messiah coming. And then we're told through all sorts of different means, directly and indirectly, what he has come to do. He has come for the forgiveness of sins. The bondage and liberation that he is setting those people free from, setting this this tribe that was meant to be a blessing to the world, that was meant to open the floodgates and tear down the walls of tribalism and division. He was saying, I have come to set you free in a different sort of way. And, and so it is my understanding, and I humbly submit to you, this is because God is love. Because God does not coerce. Because God will not, even cannot, if we read the Moses story, right, just show up in all his power and glory and expect us to make like a free will decision. God wants to use his people. And so it all needs to begin with all of the brokenness in our world and all of the ways we have chosen death and all the ways we stand on the shoulders of sin and sin and brokenness that we have been invited and it started right there in that moment. To say, God, I want what I, want what I really need. And what I need is to be free. What I need is to be f- free of my sin, to be free of my shame, to be free of my guilt. What I really need is the bondage that has like come over my life. Like, well, I don't need like some sort of quick fix. God, I need you to do that work inside of me. Jesus gives us what we need, not always what we want. Are you willing this week with maybe the home group you're going to, with the Good Friday service, with Easter Sunday coming. Or I want to even today, like have high expectation of even this moment as we close to say, maybe my ideas of God are jacked up. Maybe I, there are places where I have fallen under an illusion of God that is not the way I thought he was. And this goes both ways, right? Like this, or this goes a whole bunch of ways. One, one way would be, oh yeah, I, I have been sold a bill of goods that church, God, they hate me, they hate who I am, they hate how I'm wired, you have no idea what I've done, I've just seen the most brokenness, like evil things have happened in the church around me in my life and I'm so angry at all these people and you need to know and hear like all over again, like God loves you as he finds you, this is the God who sets people free, this is the God of mercy and grace and forgiveness and fresh starts and will give you a new call and it's never too late to begin again, some of you need that, and you need me to just preach that at some of you need to break the illusion that god is not here just to make you happy and to give you an insulated 2.5 kids like cute life behind a picket fence like some of you need to shatter the image and like retire your christian lifestyle like world like for some of us we need to realize "No, no no jesus has invited you to pick up your cross You have an illusion that the way of Jesus is just sort of like, live decently well for a while, have good worship services, go to heaven when you die and retire all right, when he's asking you to give everything. Everything, because he says that's the best way to live. That's where all the life is. Maybe we have such a, a delusion about who God is that rests and circles around so much fear And oh man, I can't wait to preach on Easter for you. So much fear. And we have this illusion that like God can't overcome. You you don't know. The idea of me having hope is not really a thing. And knowing God loves me is not solving that. And you need to allow God in this moment. Just would you hear me for a moment? There is enough hope for you there is a a living hope that says you don't even have to fear death, Never mind to fear what you're going through now. Heaven awaits you. The thing that everybody at the baseline is most scared of, which is death, you don't have to fear that if you say yes to Jesus. And so I'm telling you, it will begin to chip away at whatever fear you have, because it's less than that. I don't know. I don't know what illusion you are under, But let's invite God to disillusion us. Can I say that? Let's invite ourselves into a little place of disillusionment this morning. To say, I, I, God, don't, I don't even know what needs to be cracked open, but I know that you are bigger, stronger, wider, more loving, more gracious. You're you're also inviting me to more, to sacrifice more, to lay down more of my life because there's a call on my life that's bigger than just some like cute little tidy lifestyle. Like you are inviting me. I know inviting all of us. I know this for a fact because this is what's all over the scriptures. Is God just breaking people's idea and illusion of who they are, of who's in, of who's included, of who's loved, of who's forgiven, of who's being invited to greatness in the kingdom of God. He's just over and over. Like, i are going to break that down. I got to get that out of there. That is such junk. I don't know who put that there. All of this, all Easter. I'm sorry, all Lent. We've come up and said, this is somebody that I need. I need. I should have tested this first. I was hoping they were just going to come off really easily. <laughs> there we go. All Easter. We've been putting these things on this cross has been like, this is probably somebody in the beginning of our forgiveness series, like I need to forgive. Like this is Jimmy, I gotta forgive Jimmy. For some of us, this was, I need to to, to forgive, like let go. I need to trust God to, to give me the strength and power to let go all of this ache that I've been holding on to. To trust that God is powerful enough, this is not working. Imagine I'm over there taking them off one by one with great poetic preacher power. Gosh. Test your props, Andrew. If you're new with us, this was what we were doing all Lent—it's just putting things up there as symbols, things we need to let go of, things we need to trust God for. And so I want to invite us in this moment of disillusionment. In this moment of saying, God, I actually believe you could do that, you are doing that. We've already heard amazing stories of like people being set free from things in this. But let us close Lent in a sense. Close this moment, at least with this cross together. By just trusting that maybe God's a bit bigger than your pain. A bit stronger than your weakness. Has a bit more for you. I'm thinking of you, mom, as you're like heading into like retirement. Not retirement, next season. Like what God has, <laughs> like what God has for you, like maybe my expectations of what God might do are different. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you open our heart? I invite Lord just a spirit to be able to just wreck whatever false ideas of who you are. Would you tear down and meet us here, Lord? Would you break down these these things in our hearts, these walls that, have, that we put up. I think I pray that prayer like almost every week. It's like we just put these things up. I know I put these things up and don't trust that you're big enough for that, big enough to set me back. Like I'm really tired. God, you're big enough to like bring bring energy and resolve. Lord, you're big enough. You're strong enough. The view of who you are, Lord, I need to change. I'm not going to live in this illusion anymore. This illusion of lack of faith and lack of expectation and a lack of hope and a lack of love and a lack of joy, Lord. I pray that this moment right now is one of faith. We don't have what we need. We need you. We need you. It's all you are. Will you meet us again? With like a, a fresh wind and a fresh fire in this moment. So maybe we need to go to our knees. Maybe we need to come to the cross to be prayed for. Maybe we just right now need to stand and sing. Lord, will you meet us here again? Will you disrupt our broken images of who you are? Let's worship together.